Welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. I am thrilled to be talking with Wayne Weingarten this morning. He is a senior fellow with the Pacific Research Institute, and you may not realize it while you're going about your life this week, but there is something very important that is happening down at the Air Quality and Control Commission here in Colorado. And it could actually um, affect your freedom of mobility, how you're able to move about as you take care of your family, you get to your job, create your business. And so it's important that we have a conversation about this. Wayne Weingarten totally understands this issue. Wayne, welcome. Thanks for having me. You know, Wayne, you had a really important piece in the Colorado Springs Gazette just recently, which I think gives an overview of what is going on. But if people have not read that, Explain it. What is happening out here in Colorado? Uh, Effectively, what's happening, while the federal government is lowering the mandates that have been put in place in terms of electric vehicles, mandating how many electric vehicles must be sold, uh, California has an exemption. And Colorado right now uh, is considering taking that California exemption. All states can do the California policy or the federal policy. And if, if Colorado goes forward and does this, what's going to happen is there's going to be mandates on kind of the Colorado market where people have to buy a certain number of electric vehicles or a certain number of uh, hybrid cars. Uh, it, it'll be mandated by the government. Well, and I think that there has been uh, some kind of a deal done with, like, the big uh, automobile dealers uh, regarding um, maybe putting off these mandates just a little bit. However, you know, it's I think it's just pushing a little bit of the, the pain down the road a bit. And so this is a very important uh, week for uh, freedom of mobility here in Colorado. And when you hear the word mandate, uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, socialism. We're trying to help people get their mm. brains around socialism because it is being um, romanticized so much. And socialism ultimately comes down to force. And so when you hear the word mandate, that is another word for force. And uh, so we're seeing uh, a movement by, I call them PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties to use ultimately force to get you out of your vehicle of choice into the vehicle that they want to choose for you. Is that too harsh, do you think, Wayne, when I put it up that way? Absolutely not. And there's a certain amount of conceit in that force, right? Because they're saying we know, like, let's take the goal that we want to have fewer greenhouse gas emissions from kind of motor vehicles and writ large and all sorts of energy sources. And they're saying, these, these politicians, these bureaucrats, and I forgot what the I is. Interested parties. <laughs> they're, they're saying that they know exactly how that needs to be done. They can foresee into the future. And there's so many unknowns when it comes to electric vehicles. And they, they're saying, we know. We know how this market's going to develop. We know uh, what's going to happen with typical cars, what they call ICE or, you know, internal combustion engines. And there's all this knowledge that they actually don't know. And that's what's actually most terrifying. And that's part of why uh, we went into this report is that because of all of these unknowns, it's uh, likely 
that the economic costs are going to be significantly higher than what they're saying. They're actually saying these proposals will have an economic benefit when, in fact, it's going to hurt Colorado's economy and be most painful on those with less income uh, and have, especially those who have long driving distances for work. It's going to uh, possibly even, and this is the, the most ironic part, lead to higher emissions depending upon how these different uh, technologies develop, which we just can't be sure about. Well, Wayne, in your important uh, guest column in the Colorado Springs Gazette, you bring bring light to, you said, the analysis on uh, these electric vehicles. They do not take into account the global emission impact from producing electric vehicles. So let's say you you have, you know, these policymakers uh, that are, are pushing forward policy, but they are not looking at the whole picture. There's something that is disingenuous about that. I was talking to uh, my researcher, Patty, and uh, and actually I've had listeners also kind of push back and say LEV and ZEV, low emission vehicles and zero emission vehicles. There's really not truth in advertising, if you will, there, because they there are other emissions. There are other factors that need to be taken into. So I think I might start calling them like DDEVs, like um, deceitful and, and, and to your point, that uh, actually they, they can be dirty. So they're DDEVs. How's that, Wayne? <laughs> Absolutely. First of all, most of, of the electric vehicles, there's a lot of production that happens in countries like China that just don't have the standards that we're going to have in this country. And then there's just the actual production process. And so right now, and that's obviously as of right now, but you have 74% more uh, global you know, greenhouse gas emissions that occur from the production of an electric vehicle compared to a combustion engine. So just putting it on the market, right, before it's even been driven, you have 74% more emissions if you buy a, uh, a you know electric vehicle than in an internal combustion engine. And so the annual lower emissions that, that you get from using the EV, that has to kind of make up that gap, and that takes a long time to make up. And we haven't even talked about, and I didn't bring this up in the report either, that often mining the metals, right, the lithium ion, these other uh, resources we need for the batteries, creates environmental damage where those occur, often in Africa, again, Asia. So there's that environmental uh, impact that we have to account for as well. Well, and then also the disposal of these electric vehicles or electric batteries. Uh, and we, I, I think, again, the PBIs, they haven't really addressed that. If you're going to push a policy forward, I really think that you need to be honest and look at the whole complete picture, which is what you have done here, Wayne Weingarten, uh, as to look at the big picture. But but it is deceitful, I think, in not not looking at the big picture and then and then not actually bringing that forth uh, so that everyday people can understand what is really going on. And um, so with that, you had mentioned... Yeah, the, the degrading batteries. Talk a little bit about that, because I found that really fascinating. Uh, the driving range, getting rid of them. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about that, Wayne. Oh, oh absolutely. I, I think anyone that has a, a mobile phone, right, and it's kind of almost disingenuous to call them phones, they're really mobile computers, right? Mm-hmm. But when you first buy your iPhone, um, the battery life is great. It lasts forever. And then slowly over time, you know, you, you charge just doesn't hold the same way. It just doesn't operate the same way. And, you know, uh, at least I know my experience is after two years, you're basically just dragging that phone over the uh, over the finish line, just hoping to uh, to make it. 
Well, it's the exact same technology uh, in the cars, effectively, uh, that's in your phone. So in the same way that your phone can't hold the same charge over time, it's the same thing with the battery. So over time, your electric vehicle, is the, the amount you can drive is going to come down. Now, the technology is getting better, and part of what everyone assumes, which, which may be the case, is that they're going to find a solution to that and that the battery lives will be extended. But again, that's a prediction of something that will come in the future. That's not the technology as it exists today. As it exists today, th there is a problem of, of um, the cars not able to hold their charge. Uh, and, and for instance, I think it's the Nissan Leaf where it says, we'll guarantee your, your battery, but we're gonna guarantee it for eight years and we're only going to guarantee it to a 75% charge. So if you could get to 100 on the day you bought the Nissan Leaf, we'll only guarantee that you'll get to 75 after eight years. And that's a pretty big drop. And then there's another really interesting issue that, uh, again, it doesn't look like it's been evaluated when we're talking about bringing these standards here in Colorado. Temperature matters. So AAA, I think everyone's familiar with AAA, they've done a study. And what they found is in very cold weather, so if you get to 20 degrees out, that the driving range of your car can go down by as much as 41%. So if you live in a cold climate, and I've heard it snows in Denver. It does. Uh, it does. You're going to have actually 41% less driving range during those cold months. And then during the hot months, right, if you get over 95, which when you get into the, the southern part of, of Colorado is relevant, uh, your driving range can go down by 17%. So again, if you're starting from this emissions deficit, then the efficiency of the car matters tremendously if you can actually have a net positive impact on emissions. And with cold weather and hot weather, the car's uh, efficiency is going to be reduced. And then there's also the question of, the car constantly going through hot weather, cold weather, how does that uh, battery hold up and will its charge kind of degrade even faster under those conditions? And there's, again, there's just unknowns. We don't know, but if the car is more expensive, which it is, now you, you're actually going to be not helping the environment and you're going to be hurting Coloradans because they're spending more for a car that's going to give them worse service. They're going to need to buy a new car sooner and they're not creating the environmental benefit, which is the whole purpose of the policy. It is really a head scratcher. And my producer, Steve, always brings me back because I, I think I, I hope people that under, understand I'm a free market girl. If somebody wants to buy an electric vehicle, you know, by all means, please, you know, have the freedom to do that. But what is such a, a challenge here is uh, we've had the, the carrot, and the, and now we're coming into the stick. The carrot had been out here in Colorado, Wayne, uh, between the federal uh, income tax credit and the state income tax credit. Somebody could knock off $12,500 off their income tax bill. And so that has been a carrot and that has not worked. People have still said, I, you know, they vote with their, their dollars when they go to the, the dealer to buy the vehicle that works for their lives. And many times that is not an electric vehicle. And I think they need to be able to f be free to make that choice. 
But we're seeing these PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties are now going to be moving over into the force side. And socialism ultimately has to come down to force to get people to do what they want them to do. Let's go to break. Uh, This is Kim Munson. I'm talking with Wayne Weingarten, and he is a senior fellow at the Pacific Research Institute. And he he has actually analyzed this whole thing. He has a policy brief on this. It's uh, titled Colorado's Low Emission Automobile Regulation. They call it CLEAR. They always come up with words that people would like. And he did an evaluation of the initial economic impact. And uh, we want to hear what you have to say on that, Wayne. We'll be right back. I am thrilled to be talking with Wayne Weingarten. He is a senior fellow with the Pacific Research Institute. And he has done a very important analysis, an economic analysis uh, regarding clear, uh, which I think actually is unclear as I really look at it, uh, Wayne. But it's regarding these uh, low emission automobile regulations. And uh, they say that it's going to cost people less and it's going to be good for the environment. We talked a little bit about the environment, but is it really going to cost people less? Uh, no. Uh, right now, it actually costs uh, significantly more. And not only does it cost more uh, to purchase it, but over time, it's, um, the, the operating cost of an electric vehicle is less. And so one of the talking points that proponents love to put out there is you, you may have to spend a little bit more up front, but over time, you're going to save money in the operation. And we actually so we, we kind of crunch the numbers. Uh, that the, uh, the the government is relying on, and it turns out that that's not correct. Uh, that if you take into account that most people can't actually just go out and put down the twenty five, thirty thousand dollars it costs a new car, that they they actually finance it because they don't have that much money laying around. Uh, and then uh, you take into those finance costs, and you take into account the difference, right? Because electric vehicles cost more. That that initial payment you have to do for for that cost means the electric vehicle over the next, you know, two or three years. And, in fact, even when you look at what the government did and how they kind of projected forward uh, disingenuously, I think, in terms of what's going to happen with the costs, it's still going to cost more to own and operate in total an electric vehicle. And that's assuming the electric vehicle is going to last the 10, 11 years that they assume it's going to last. If it lasts only eight years then it's going to cost even more. And, you know, and based on our calculation, you're talking about over $7,000 more uh, in, in, in right now to buy an electric vehicle compared to an internal combustion engine vehicle. And you only save $661 a year from operation costs. So that's a huge financial deficit. So effectively what you're doing is you're putting a huge cost on uh, the, the price of, uh, of cars for um, consumers in Colorado. And it, it, it's so bad you even got my dog wrong. <laughs> I understand. So let, let's talk a little bit more about that, though. I find it just kind of fascinating in a diabolical way, if you will, that they want to move people out of these internal combustion engines that work for them and move over to these electric vehicles and, quote-unquote, the cost is going to be less. Now, realize there's a tremendous amount of subsidizing these electric vehicles uh, to try to get into charging stations. And so there's a lot of of taxpayer money that is going into uh, subsidizing and trying to get people into these electric vehicles. But it is going to replace fossil fuels 
you know, uh, uh, gas at the, at, the, at the gas pump with uh, electricity. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out is if you move all of this demand over to electricity, the costs are going to go up. And then out here in Colorado, in Denver, we basically have a monopoly uh, on our electrical uh, electricity provider in Excel. And so you now move the energy source over to a monopoly and create significant demand. That is going to create energy poverty, if you will, for that hardworking mom that's just trying to, you know, get things together to get the kids, you know, to school and, and take care of them, turn the lights on. It's going to increase her costs significantly from what I can see, Wayne. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's something we, we haven't gotten into yet. But the, the electric infrastructure, there's all sorts of hidden costs of this policy that are going to show up exactly in the way you talked about it. I mean, there's a reason why. When people are given the choice, they're not taking electric vehicles. Right? And it's not because they're not cool, because Teslas are very cool, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not because that uh, people don't care about the environment. It's that it's the, the cost for uh, for families, especially working families, is it, it's just too high. And these policies are what we call as economists regressive, right? It has a much harder, larger impact on families with less income and families with higher incomes. Uh, and so... One of the problems in Colorado in terms of this, this idea is the electric grid. Right now, even though um, alternative energy sources are growing as a source uh, for the Colorado energy infrastructure, you still have a higher reliance on coal compared to uh, the, the average in the U.S. So first of all, that means that if we switch all of these cars from fossil fuels to electricity, you're actually switching it from uh, gas to coal, and that's not a good trade-off. Okay, which that means now we have to rework the entire energy infrastructure in Colorado in order to get you know, more natural gas, um, possibly nuclear, which most likely wouldn't happen. Uh, then you have the reliability issues of the solar and wind really appropriate here in in, in Colorado, and, and often that the answer is no. So you have all of those issues we have to deal with. Assuming you can get that through, there's a huge cost involved to rebuild the the electric infrastructure. So those are additional costs that are going to show up in people's utility bills. That's not being accounted for when we're talking about what's the cost of this policy. Well, you know, and another another thing, Wayne, is Excel is closing prematurely a couple of clean coal burning. Um, uh, coal burning plants here in Colorado, so it looks like this is this is ramping up to a disaster. I, I think ultimately, I'm working my way through Blueprint Denver, which was uh, passed by the city council this April, and the real movement is is I think not just to get people into electric vehicles, but ultimately to get them onto bikes and uh, walking and uh, onto transit. And so you make this so expensive, you know, that's, that's going to move people into those kinds of things. And then that limits their mobility. Then they basically are constrained to just certain different parts of the, the city where they could live. And um, freedom of mobility, I think, is inherent in everyday people being able to thrive and, and prosper and flourish. And, and one of the most important things when you're looking at these policies is 
not just evaluating those things that you can see, but also what are those things that are unseen, that we can't foresee? And I think you just brought up a huge issue when you're talking about you limit people's mobility. So now all of a sudden, if more people need to be located in smaller and smaller regions, one, quality of life goes down. And many people don't want to be uh, in an urban environment. Many people do, but others don't. But now you're also increasing your demand for that real estate, which means housing costs are going to be going up. Right, so there's all sorts of ways that you unexpected with these policies. When you start mandating in one area, right, you squeeze that balloon on one side. You don't realize where that air is going to go, and sometimes it goes in unexpected ways. But now all of a sudden, your your electricity, your utility bills are higher, and all of a sudden your your housing choices and your housing costs are changing, all because of a policy that you wouldn't necessarily point to, but is in fact. Uh, the the, the causal policy. Well, and this is all, this whole policy is starting today. There's going to be four days of hearings down at the Air Quality Control Commission, but the public can only make comments uh, today from uh, noon to three or from six to eight in the evening. And, you know, these people, uh, you know, are supposed to be representing us. But instead of representing us, we've seen that, you know, that uh, politicians are pushing all this decision making over into these bureaucratic administrative organizations, the Air Quality Control Commission, which they're, they are appointed by politicians, but then it takes away the accountability. And then they don't really want to hear what the people have to say about it. They are, are you know, they're focused on, on pushing this whole thing through. What can we do about it? I think it's probably good to show up, but what can we do about this? Um, I, I guess the other thing is, is certainly look at your issue brief so that you understand the issues, but what can everyday people do about this, Wayne? Well, I, I think you've got to push back. You've got to let your voices be heard. And, you know, most importantly, there's no reason to rush this through. I mean, and I think that's part of the issue and part of what I tried to raise in the issue brief. There's lots of questions that we don't know, and we don't need to rush and get this implemented you know, in the next month, two months. It's, this is so important for people's lives and so impactful on people's lives that it's irresponsible to do this in a rushed manner, to take our time and to fully evaluate what the trade-offs are and to be honest about the trade-offs. And I know they've done an updated uh, analysis, but in the analysis that we've done, when they come out there and they say we can create a better environment and increase economic growth, anytime somebody's offering you a free lunch, the question has to be, okay, where's the hidden cost that I'm paying? Because free lunches don't exist. There's going to be a catch somewhere. There's going to be a cost. And if you haven't found it, it means we probably need to be evaluating this more in depth so we have a better idea of kind of what the impact of this policy is going to be and and how that's going to be distributed. One of the things, you know, PRI, we we spend a lot of time in California. That's our home. And we're seeing our policies get exported. And that's of, of concern to us because California has the highest energy costs in the country, the highest gas costs in the country. It, it, it has a huge cost of living problem, and these are the exact policies that are driving that. And in, in California, what we've now seen, and it's much further down the road than where Colorado is, we have a homelessness crisis, we have the highest, when you adjust the cost of living, we have the highest poverty um, in, in the country, and we have a huge uh, ex- exodus 
of people who just can't afford to live in California anymore. And this is not the type of kind of lesser type of policy we want other states to be uh, to be replicating. Well, that's for sure. California is a beautiful place, but the policies are making it very difficult to live there. So Wayne Weingarten, Senior Fellow with the Pacific Research Institute, thank you so much. And where can people get this uh, very important brief that you've done? Oh, you can find that on our website, uh, pacificresearch.org. Okay, great. Wayne, thank you so much.